Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast on planet Earth, proudly brought to you each and every week by Caffeine Gum Australia. If you don't chew Caffeine Gum, then F you. No, but seriously, Caffeine Gum's a company that, well, Caffeine Gum Australia is a company that both Kate and I own. And what it is, is it's caffeinated chewing gum. So it was originally designed for the US military um, for combat situations where they needed caffeine, a convenient source of caffeine. It's got 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, comes in three amazing flavors in Arctic mint, spearmint, and cinnamon. And uh, yeah, it's going really well. It's been used by a bunch of professional teams all over Australia. Uh, we've sent it to Japan, New Zealand, uh, France. So yeah, it's, it's starting to get there and, and uh, a lot of it's because of the people that listen to this podcast. So I just want to thank everyone for the support. Everything that we own or earn there, I should say, goes back into supporting this podcast and it helps us keep going. So thank you. And if you want to check it out, try it out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. It's free postage Australia-wide as well. Okay, before I introduce today's very special guest, can I please ask that if you haven't already, that you subscribe to whatever channel that you're listening to this on, can I also ask that you follow us on social media at Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the social medias, you've got to be everywhere these days, uh, but it's important so that we can get this podcast out to as many people as possible, so yeah, if you haven't done that, please do that. All right, let's just get straight into it. Um, so I fully appreciate at this point of my coaching career how lucky I am to speak to some of the people that I get to speak to and uh, in particular the last couple of weeks on and off the podcast I've been a part of some really good conversations and and honestly the learning the things that I'm learning at this stage of my career I'm, I'm very grateful for and I'm, I know that I'm very fortunate to to be a part of these situations today's podcast is no different um, so I'd known Belly for a little while. He's he probably wouldn't like me saying this, but he's one of the godfathers of Australian scrum coaching. I uh, played for the Wallabies. Um, he went to school at St Joseph's College. Uh, what else has he done? He played Australian schoolboys. Played his club rugby at North in the Shoot Shield. Uh, played for the Waratahs, and of course played for the Wallabies. His coaching career is equally, if not more impressive. Uh, he's coached at the Queensland Reds. He was the Japan Rugby National Team scrum coach at one of the World Cups. I think it was 2003. He's been the Australian Rugby Union scrum coach for the 19s, 20s and 21s. Uh, he's been a consultant to Santori and Canon um, companies in Japan. Coached at East, he's coached at Sydney Uni, he's coached at Meriwether Carlton, and he has coached the mighty Hunters Hill under 14s. And uh, he's also a 50% creator in current Wallaby Angus Bell. Um, so, without further ado, please enjoy this unbelievably fun podcast talking all things scrum coaching with the great Mark Bell. How's life, man? Everything good? good, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, everything's good. Just at home, locked up, and you know, everyone's. I went to foot. You like you, mate. I went to footy training the other night, and now it's you know, oh, you're a close couple of the boy young blokes who got COVID, and then young bloke got home last night, and he got a text this morning to say one of the coaches has got it. So you know, Parks, you don't you, Dan Parks? Yeah, yeah. 
So he's at uni, he's coaching the Colts, so Huey is over there, but there's a few of the young guys got it as well. So oh, it's just a never-ending saga. So are you coaching at uni this year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mate, I've been there for a few years. I, I did the, I did years and years and years ago, I did uni the grade, and then I got I left, I went up to Newcastle driving tugboats, and then I've come back, and then I've been, for the last three years, I suppose, I've been doing uni Colts, just the scrummaging stuff, nothing serious. And I, I had uh, well, that that scrummaging is very serious, mate. And uh, <laughs> I had I had Parksy on the other week. I actually had a beer oh, with him a couple of weeks ago. He's uh, he's a good man. He's a bit of a yeah, wild yeah, boy. I think he's in, he's going to enjoy it there, mate. It's pretty good. Like they got this just set up, mate. Like they just you know the gymnasiums and the all the pools and the change rooms and everything's right next to the oval. And it's more professional than half the professional teams oh, in this country. One hundred percent. And now with all the coaching they got there this year, it's just ridiculous. So. Mate, uh, the first grade coaching staff is is ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's crazy. And yeah, um, yeah, you, know, you got Brian and and Baco there as well. Like they're just going to do all the grades. You got Laurie doing the scrummaging in grade. Then you know Parks you know, with Sean Hedger. So like Hedger's really experienced. So you you are still coaching because uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to any of these, but I. I I kind of started a podcast exactly a year yeah. ago, and part yeah. of the part of the original thought was is that I wanted to do it as like a business thing, but you know every man and his dog has a podcast these days. So yeah, you know, you know my hopes of becoming a millionaire overnight, you know, quick, quick quickly change, and and it, it kind of became more of like an educational tool for coaches, and you know, selfishly myself, like I'm a young coach, just started learning to coach, um, you know, Fords. Um, over the last couple of years and you know i think i had pat lamb on episode five or something and it oh, yeah. just it just took off and people really liked it so um, part of what i'm trying to do is to educate young coaches and, and hopefully educate some people on some of the stuff going on in rugby mate so that's why i'm, I'm very grateful to have you on and thanks to palms for organizing it no all good. i guess all good. i i guess let, mate let's just let's just jump straight into it really yeah Go for it. Who have you coached before? Let's let's give people a brief introduction on your background. Um, I started when I, well, I finished playing, and um, Greg Smith um, was coaching at East, and um, he got me in to do a bit of coaching there for you know just some scrummaging stuff, like with the young guys. And I, I pretty much enjoy. I really liked it, so I did it for about twelve months with Greg, and then I got a call from Eddie Jones and said. Oh, and then I, I did some, sorry, I did some stuff in Japan just on an IBM, a couple of club sides over there, went over there and um, um, as, as the Japanese are very willing, but back then it was about second or third division, they really didn't have much idea on scrummaging or set piece play or line out. So I went over there, it was pretty much, I enjoyed it because it was reinventing the wheel as such and everyone was excited and wanted to learn. And so I went there and I, I ended up at... Um, did a couple of gigs in IBM, Panasonic, and and then I went ended up at Suntory doing some stuff with Damien Hill, who's who's doing some coaching at uni now. Um, and then I came back. I still I went over there for about two years, and then I got a phone call one day from Eddie, and he said, um, "Mate, would you be interested in going over and coaching the national side for the World Cup?" And that was about ninety. Sorry, that was about two thousand two thousand and one. I said, "Yeah, mate, I'd love to." And he said, "Right, I will give me a ring when you're ready." And I said, no worries. So I got back to Sydney. I was away at the time and got back to Sydney, rang him. And next thing you know, I was over there with Mark Eller doing the, the national side and did that for about two or three years on and off and then got him into the World Cup or got into the World Cup for the 2003 when it was in Australia. Then finished there and came back. And then I was doing some stuff with the ARU doing the set piece stuff. So it was, it was like a... Uh, 
the scrummaging, just trying to sort of centralise everything and get everything done. So it started up as a junior program with the, with sort of under-18s, under-19s, under-21. So I did the, the schoolboy stuff and then I did the – it was under-19s then and then under-21. So I sort of went across those three age groups and then it morphed into doing the Super 15 stuff. So my philosophy around was that was, well, we'll all do the same thing technically, so everything's great. And I used to tell all the coaches, I think uh, John Mitchell was at the force – Chris Hickey was at New South Wales. Laurie Fisher was down the Brumbies. Um, so it started off that I was just making sure that we were trying to do all the same thing and if I could help out and stuff. So I ended up doing a fair bit of coaching, which was good, and up in Queensland. So we, we just sort of got everything technically right. But um, And as I said, we would talk with the coaches openly about what was being done technically, but tactically was a different story. If they wanted me to help out with tactics, that was no problems, but it was that was on the secrecy side of things well which was really good. So that was my philosophy around that. Technically, we all do the same thing. Tactically, we're going to do something totally different. How so, hard was it to get them all on the same page, mate? Was no, it, was it, it something good. they were they were pretty seamless with it? Yeah, no, it was, wasn't seamless to start with. I had to prove my medal that I knew what I was talking about. So that, but then that was fine. I think that's that was a trust thing that they sort of had to get over the hump a bit that I was going around to all the Super 15 teams plus all the junior stuff. So, and that was in around your time, Palms' time. I think Palms is in the not. Dan Palmer's in the 19s, you know, Chipper Hanson, the Fangers, all these sort of blokes were coming through at the stage. Greg Holmes um, was a little bit older, but and so when I left there, I ended up going to the Red. So we won the we won the under-19s World Cup, which was great, but we had a really gun side that had, and with Scotty Wisemantle a few years beforehand, took us a few years to get it together and sort of started coaching that as well. So and then um, we um, he he moved on and then um, we went over to the World Cup and, and we won that in Dubai. So, and we had a really, really gun side, but we had some really good young guys coming through. So we knew that, you know, everything was on play. And then we uh, came back from there, left there and went to the Reds for a couple of years, which is great. And we sort of had a bit of a, um, um, they wanted to start again and bring a lot of young guys in. So we got all the, most of the, there was only a couple of blokes I missed out on the, from that 90s getting into Queensland. So, Benny McCowman was one. Uh, Pocock we, we were pretty close to. So, um, and that was really good, you know. So then from the Reds, um, sort of went back to my roots of driving boats and then sort of still enjoyed doing the coaching bit and then sort of came back in to do it again with Sydney Uni. Um, and then back, I spent a few years in Newcastle. I was coaching up there at Merriweather and had a great time up there. It was It was like old school footy. It was great fun. And then came back to Sydney and then ended up back and and was doing the Colts. So I, I, I like doing the young guys when they're coming out of school and sort of trying to get them all on the same page and trying to boost them up from there. So, yeah, no, it was pretty good. So many so many questions, mate, and I'm going to jump around yeah. a lot. Um, when you first walk into a team and and you charge with the scrum or the Ford pack, what's the first thing that you do? Do you do, you do a lot of research before you walk in? Yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. do you when you get there? Do you throw them under the fire to see what they're made of? Like, did, did no, you not really. Yeah, I sort of. Uh, I, Eddie Jones said something to me very, very early in my career, and it's funny. Like, I get on really well with Eddie. I know he's polarizing, and you know, some people can't stand him. A lot of people love him. I'm sort of one of the blokes that really loves him because he's actually he's easy to challenge, and he's easy. To, you can get stuck into him, and he'll get stuck into you. And there's no, there's no, it's not personal or anything. He just wants to really to get it out of you so he said to me very early in the piece he said mate i'll give you the best bit of advice i'll give you and this is sort of a philosophy for me whether it was philosophy or advice is he said have a look at your team 
and then come up with a game plan. Don't have a game plan and force it on a team because you'll fail. And it sort of rings in my head every time I have anything to do with any sort of coaching. I'll always, you know, set up some skills and stuff, but not not to throw anyone to the bus, just to get the basic, uh, I suppose, the baseline and then go from there. So it, it, for me, that always rings in my head. Don't, don't force something onto someone they're just not capable of doing. So, um, and that's, that's how I coach. I always come in, have a good look around, throw a few skills around and see what happens and then put people under fatigue and then see if they can do it. Okay. So, so once you've done that, you've seen where the guys are at and then I, I guess you can kind of formulate where you want to take them. How, something I've found very uh, interesting about shoot shield level footy is you've got guys who are fringe super rugby players in your forward pack and then yep. you've got guys who are fresh out of Colts who you know, who might not be at the same standard and you've got to put just as much effort into everyone to bring them up to the level yeah. required because with the way injuries are these days, a third grader is one injury away from being in first grade. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, that, that sort of brings a unique challenge where you're responsible for improving the high-end guys in the unit, but you've also got to bring the bottom guys up to standard and to, yeah. to really get squeeze the juice out of them for yeah. lack of a better way of saying it. How did you sort of balance the individual progression with the progression of the unit? Um, well, I have principles that I follow. I have six principles in scrum and they're non-negotiable for me, and they're very, very basic. Whether I'm coaching under 14s, 15s, or 16s, when I've done, you know, Warrat- I coached the Waratahs, I've coached the Reds, and did a bit of Wallaby stuff there as well, the principles don't change for me. They are the same thing. And if you can basically, if, if you can get those six principles and maintain those principles then you're, you're well on the way. Now, then you talk about bringing blokes up to standard. So if I have those six principles and I can get them through first grade, second grade, third grade, first grade cults, second grade cults, I'm a mile in front. And those principles don't change. The tactics change, but the principles don't. So, and they're very, very basic. And the kid, and whoever I've coached, kids to men, they can go away and they can practice these things in the mirror. You know, so it, it's very important that those basic and those principles are followed. For me, for my coaching if you can maintain those principles, then you're, you're more than halfway there. You're 70% there. Do you mind sharing what they are? Yeah, so it's, it just starts from the ground up. So your toes are pointing in the direction you want to go. Your toes are over your knees. Your hips are square and facing where you want to go. Your chest's out, shoulders flat, head flat. So they're very basic. It's a very basic thing. Of course, you've got to put meat around the bone, but that, they're the they're basic principles, but then you have other then you, you you sort of step up then, of, you know, becoming a scrum. And then I say there's pre in and after. So your, your pre-scrummaging stuff is you get your principles right, then you take a bind. So, you, and then you, once you've taken that bind and everyone's on that pre-stage, you're in stages when you've taken, you know, you you, you, you crouch over and your, your speed across the space, there's, again, there's a lot of meat on the bone there. It's just really basic stuff is you're in stage and then your after stages after you've made that engagement, what are you doing? So, if you can do your six principles plus those three stages, then you're 70 or 80% of the way of scrummaging. But of course, there's a lot of detail around that. But your main, your main see after, you, after you've done that, your three things that are the most important are your feet, your hips and your shoulders. They determine how you're going to go in that scrum. Okay. So uh, obviously with the six principles, that's a very individual thing. And I mm. assume when, when you're coaching a team, you'd be relying on guys to, to practice it as maybe a, Correct. In, the gym, in the gym yep. or as a primer's activity. Yep. When you're, when you're actually on field, because you've got a limited amount of time, how much time mm. do you spend 
on that versus the eight on eight or the three on three or the five on five stuff, because you know, you, you get the individual body shape right, but there's nothing quite like having eight people trying to shove your head up your ass and, and getting that balance. Do you, yep. do you have a way of thinking about it or a process? Yeah, no, no. You, you, for me, you have to get those six principles right, but they're not something I'm going to jam down your throat every day. If you're doing them, you, you've got to practice them outside the square. But then again, like setting up a scrum, so those three stages can be the, – the main thing is when you're setting up, is everyone sitting on the top of the cliff sort of thing, leaning over the hill, waiting to go. Now, you don't want to overbalance. You don't want anyone holding the weight back. You want everyone's body shape correct. So you've got body shape in the front row, body shape second row, and the back row. So for me, it's going very slow and getting that right. Now, if you if you say it takes five weeks to get a scrum going, well, I'll say, look, I want them at eight weeks because I want to do all this stuff prior to actually hitting something. So you've got to get all those stages right. Even before you start talking about scrummaging, you've got to get those principles right and your 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 body shape right. Otherwise, you're just slamming in and you're just having a bit all shits and giggles and you know, you're not really going to achieve much. So I, I'm I'm very much building it slowly. But if you get a group of guys that are really keen and at and that level, you can you you can really skip through. I don't skip anything. I mean, like skip through. If you've got ten stages you want to get through, you might go one, two, three, four, five in the first week, and then yeah. you're off and flying. Because I think if you if you build the base and you get the base right, and everyone's doing the same thing at the same time, then everything's okay. So with sorry, you go. No, no, you don't worry. Again. I was just going to say with the with the steps, right? So just say you've got ten steps, hypothetically. Yeah. And you've got you you're working with uh, Sydney Uni first grade, so you might yep. take them from step one to step five in the first week. Yep. Some good guys who've been doing it a while; they've been yep. in your system a long time. So obviously, you want to get them to step ten. But is is it a case of going to step six and seven? Going, oh shit, they're not quite up to step seven yet. Let's pull them back to step six. Yeah, nail yeah. that, nail that, and then we just gradually progress it. So yep. you don't. You don't really put any restrictions on how quickly you're going to no, get there. No, you just you're just going to get there when you get there and push the guys yeah. as you see them get to the yeah. stages. Yep, is that how yep. you do it? Correct. Yes, and if they're all, you know, it's that old thing. It's an old thing that I always say to guys: if we can get, if we get eight blokes doing the wrong thing, we're going to have success. If we get, you know, six blokes doing the right thing and two blokes doing the wrong thing, we're going to be in trouble. And if we get eight blokes doing the right thing at the right time, we're going to smash people. So it's one of those sort of processes. And you can sort of see the front row, second row are pretty good. And, you know, as you move on, the main, the main focus then is, is for, for front rowers and second rowers, and I suppose the back rowers will be able to catch weight with their hips. You know, you, there, was a, there was something I did years and years ago with a guy called Christian Sharp, who's now the SNC back at Sydney Uni, and he, he was writing a thesis on scrummaging, and I just bumped him. And uh, he said, oh, he's a, he's a mad, mad pom, mad Irishman. And he goes, mate, do you want to give me a hand? I said, yeah, mate, I'd love to. He said, we're going to go out to uh, Lidcombe and we're going to all these pressure plates and we're going to do something. Are you keen? I went, well, yeah, because this will help me prove my theories about my six principles. He said, oh, sweet, let's do it. So we went out and did it. And we had Alan Alatoa, who was a kid at this stage. And, you know, we um, there he is, you know, in all his glory and we put these balls all over him and, you know, we had cameras and you know, plates and, and I'd never seen all this stuff before. So it was great. So we let Alan just go for it, you know, like let's go mate, smash into it and see what happens. So we let him go for about half an hour, just smashing into it. And what we found, he, Alan was strong because he went, he, he was a Newington boy. And so I saw, I knew who he was and had a look at him and stuff like that. And what we found was on the engagement, if we just let him go for it, you had a massive spike of weight 
So, well, let's just say a nominal, it was 100. So he did 100 on the, on the thing. He'd come back down to 20, and then he'd go back up to 30 and then flatten out. So we let him go for about 20 minutes. Ooh, he's still there? Yeah, mate. Um, yeah. Sorry, just something came through on my phone, just blowing yeah. up. Um, and we found that if it went to 100, it came back down, and then it, and then it was all over the shop. So what we did then was we said, right, let's do a bit of coaching with him. So they gave me about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And Al was pretty good. Like he, he, he was pretty handy at that age. So we changed a bit of his style. We changed his feet position. We changed his hips, changed his shoulders and went through his six principles and stuff and bang, 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 bang. And then we started to hit it. And I said, well, what we want to do is be able to catch weight with your hips. And that's, you know, you, you, your feet have got to be on the ground. So that's your ankles and your knees and your shoulders and all that sort of stuff. And we ended up getting it. So we could got a spike of 100. And we, we kept it up there for only, it might have been only half a second. And then it came down to about 40. And then we got him back up to 45. So we proved the point that if you can catch weight with your hips, with your feet, hips, and shoulders, then you can keep the weight on. And that's the way scrummaging I felt was going. So whoever could hit hard, maintain force, and then just drop off a little bit. So it proved a lot of my theories. And then, and Kristen, Tristan, sorry, went on to write the, thesis about scrummaging and it got no one was a keen on it for about five years but they ended up publishing any and he got it in but it proved a lot of theories for me and it also disproved a lot of theories for me as well like you know um which was great and that sort of set me up this is going back 10 or 12 years now when he did it and it sort of really set me on the path of yeah well i'm right i understand what i'm trying to achieve and i'm right here and i'm wrong here so these are this is where i want to go with it so then really sat down and studied a lot of scrummaging, a lot of front rowers, um, a lot of the pommy front rowers. Like I really like Sheridan and I really like Heyman from um, um, the All Blacks. New Zealand. Yeah. So Sheridan was an extremely strong loose head prop that could really load up through his hips. And, I, I, you know, I had a really good look at him and then and then sort of based my scrummaging a lot on that and found that, you know, core stability was a big thing. Um, and then I had my own kid that was a guinea pig for me. So, you know, I used all my it's stuff. Worked. To, yeah. It's worked pretty, worked pretty yeah, well, mate. getting there, yeah, <laughs> getting there. So it was sort of, you know, and that's how it sort of all came about. But Palms was, you know, Dan Palmer was another guinea pig for me. He was someone that I found that was incredibly flexible, incredibly strong down low and could scrummage like no other. So I spent a fair bit of time with Palms when he was a young bloke and I, I and really enjoyed it. He challenged me a lot and really, you know, Put a lot of the theories into practice, and and uh, he was incredibly strong and incredibly good. Uh, you know, the thing that I always say about Palms is how a ninety kilo man ended up playing mm. tight head prop for Australia. Probably yeah. shows you just how how good he really was. Yeah, yeah. A couple of qu- couple of questions on that, mate, and well, a lot of questions. But in, in terms of developing props, so you had Al at a young age. Al was always going to be special, in my oh, opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, he, yeah. He, he just had it. I remember when he was at South, he was 18, playing second mm. grade, and was just, just braining it. But in, in terms of getting guys coming through the grades and, and to actually develop our props from a young age to, to transition into Colts, to transition into first grade, to transition into Super Rugby and the Wallabies, how can we do that better? Because... Um, for every Alan Alatoa, there are 25 other guys who have a lot of technical work that they have to do before they're even playing second grade, first grade level. Correct. And and I think that's probably a little bit of a gap that we can actually do a lot of work on in this country is bringing those guys up into grade with the six principles already entrenched in them because it feels like something that they should already have. They've, they've got a certain amount of strength. They've got a certain amount of flexibility. 
how would you attack it? You've done a lot of work with development. Uh, is there something that we can do better, in your opinion? Yeah, mate, I think the younger guys, uh, I think developing younger guys is really important because at the moment, like, and as I'm not trying to be derogatory towards anyone, the biggest kids always get picked at the moment when they're at school because it's a bit of a win at all costs. But a lot of those, a lot of those kids don't go on or they don't, they lose interest and they move on. So, and then there's a lot of kids that, that are coming through and I was one. So anyone argues with me, I always say, well, I was one of those kids that came through late, you know, and you've got to find the fire in the belly before you find the, find the footballer, because if you don't, then it, some kids just move on and then you've lost, um, uh, you've, you lose a lot of people to, to just, they just give it up. So I think the younger guys and with the academies and stuff like that, I still think they should be going back to, if you've got, if you're, if you're an academy coach and you, you can put through 120 kids in a month, I think that's the way to go. And you sort of have a, I'm a bit of a, you know, load the gun and fire it off and then reload it again. You know what I mean? So if you, if you bring 20 kids in on a Monday, 20 kids in on a Wednesday, you know, 20 kids in on a Thursday and you're running programs, you can then filter out the guys that are keen, the guys that aren't keen and the guys that have got skill and guys that can't. But if you're just picking kids straight out of school boys because they're school boys, then I think you're, you're, you're sort of, um, you're narrowing the field quite quickly. And I'm a big one. I've always said like, what, what, if I look at if I look at a team, say a young team, I always say, what's your churn rate? What's your conversion rate? So what's your conversion? So let's just take the Waratahs because we're in New South Wales. What's your conversion rate from Waratahs Academy into Super 15? That's into New South Wales to Waratahs, not getting pinched and going somewhere else. And also what's your conversion rate? So the leagueies are very good at the conversion rate, you know, conversion and churn rate. So if you've got a churn rate, say you have 20 kids, then you might say, well, every two to three, every every year we've got to lose five. You pick them and get rid of them and bring another five in. So I call that a churn rate. Now it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, barbaric if you want to call it that. But at the end of the day, it's a professional sport and you're paying money to to, to people to deliver. If they can't deliver, then you've got to go and find other people that will. So you, you've got a you've got a churn rate one and you've got a conversion rate, which is your other. And that really dictates how much um, I suppose effort, money, whatever you want to call it, into your academy. But I think that bringing a lot of kids into the academy, like 20 on a Monday, 20 on a Tuesday, 20 Wednesday, 20 Thursday, you know, you, you've got 80 kids coming in that week. And the next, you might do it on a two-week basis. So you might have 180, 100, 200 kids coming in within two weeks or three weeks and then start filtering them out rather than just going for the, you know, oh, well, there's 15 kids that played Australian school boys, let's throw them in there. You know, that doesn't always work. Yeah, which is kind of what they've been doing for a long time, if uh, to be fair. Well, yeah, and, you know, to be controversial about it, who's picking the schoolboys? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Exactly like, right. You know, but why, why should the Waratahs or the Reds be influenced by what's happening at school? You know, it's you're a professional sport, you find your own way, and that's what I always say, you find your own way. Now, if you're just picking kids because they played Australian schoolboys, how many Australian schoolboys have gone on to be Wallabies? There's not many. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that, you see that, well, at, at the time at school at 18 or 17, 18 years of age, they, they're probably the best footballers, but kids don't develop like that. Like, you know, I was playing 5-8. I was at boarding school and I was playing 5-8 in the, the 16 H's. So, and then 18 months later, I played Australian schoolboys at tight head. So I was really, really late, but going from 5-8 in the H's, the lowest possible team, to Australian schoolboys eight and later as a tight head. And that was only a fluke. I just walked past a game and they needed a front row. I said, yeah, I'll play. That's it. And that's exactly how I fell into being a front rower. 
<laughs> weird, but very funny. But that's a crazy story. Yeah, mate. Just, just on all that, right? So, in terms of actual coaching the guys, so you obviously got gas. You've you've done work with palms in the past. Yeah. What 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 would you do to? What would you do? You see a young front row who's showing he's got the fire in the belly. He's got a little mm. bit of physical ability and potential. How do you get him from, you know, a, a, a development kid to, to be a Dan Palmer or to be a Gus Bell? Like, is there oh, something that you do individually or do they, do they need to get in the gym or like? I think, mate, for that? me, like, you know, if I, if I go, and I hate to use Angus, but when he was in year 11, year 12, you know, he had the fire and the ability that he wanted to play and all that sort of stuff. And then he wanted to go and punch weights. And I just said, no, you're not. I said, look, I'm your father. I'm just going to put my foot down. All you're going to do is chin-ups, push-ups and, and plank work. So body I said, weight stuff. All body weight stuff. I said, you don't, I said, I don't see anyone doing 200 kilo bench press in the middle of the field, but I do see you trying to push someone off when they're trying to tackle you. And I said, that's, that's more functional strength around your, your ability to, to hold someone off. So, it wasn't all about just hitting the gym and getting the biggest possible human you can. You've you've also got to be able to have an athletic ability. And I, I found, and with the younger kids that I did coach through all that sort of stuff, if they can handle their own body weight with push-ups, chin-ups, even you know squatting their own body weight and stuff, they seem to develop and they get that functional strength. It's like the old farmer versus city kid. You know, the farmers are always strong because it's all functional strength. They're lifting, twisting, pushing, pulling. And that, to me, is so important before you turn that age of 18. If you go too hard too early, you're going to have, you know, you're going to damage yourself. So, and then and then basically doing those six, if you can rock those six principles out, this is, again, my theory on it. If you can handle those six principles and then and understand the principles of, you know, catching weight and bouncing weight with your hips and, you know, your feet on the deck and your shoulders being square and through, and then how to transfer force and generate force. Well, you're a mile in front, and, you, and it's not—it's pretty easy to do that at 18. Now, once you get over the 18, you, then your, your tactical knowledge comes in as well. And then you are shifting weight by shifting feet positioning, shifting your hips, shifting your shoulders, your direction, the way you pack. So there's so much more education that comes on. But if you can basically, if you can do those basics and understand the theories behind it, you're a mile in front. Something, as someone who's started scrum coaching in the last couple of years, something that I've noticed is that a lot of back five players do not get coached at the scrum no, for no. whatever reason. In your view, what can scrum coaches do better in this country in general or, or worldwide? What can we do to improve the, scrum, the standard of scrummaging in this country? Because to me, when I look at a scrum, I feel like the back five have the biggest influence on how well the scrum Correct. goes. So yeah. why wouldn't you put most of the effort into them and, and you know, bring the front rowers up as you go? Yeah. Obviously, you've got to pay attention to front rowers as yeah. well. But, yeah. but how do you view that? What, what can scrum coaches do better? Well, for me, mate, I always say to the, to the back five, front rowers love this, but I always say the back five generate a little bit of force, not much, but they directional. It's all directional force. So the more force that's created by the back five and the front three can direct, you're on a winner. You can't expect a loose head prop to do something on his own because it's just you can't. You, it's physically impossible for him to be moving 130 kilo bloke without help someone behind him. So for me, I I, I spend a lot of time with the second rowers and back row on their shape, and getting them. You know, if someone says you have got to push more, well, the first question is I always ask is how. How it's like old coaches go, you know, we're going to tackle around the bootlaces and score tries and we'll win. Well, yeah, I understand that, but how do you do that? So once once the back three or the back five, sorry, understand 
what they're trying to achieve, how they're going to achieve it, and what what they do is has a massive influence, and they buy into it. Whereas if you don't actually coach those guys, I just wonder. And that's when you get back rowers don't even pack on scrums. They're just worried about smashing the 10 because that's where they get the biggest bang for their buck. But if you show them how they can actually see through the scrum when they're low and they can see the halfback pick the ball up and as soon as he touches the ball, he's off, you're going to be quicker off the side if you keep down low. Instead of putting your head over the side and waiting for the bloke to pick up and stand up, well, you can look through and as soon as he picks up, you're gone. So it's, it's then getting them to buy into it as well. And once you get those guys to buy into it, and also you teach them the fundamentals of scrummaging of your foot position then determines, you know, your hip position, which then determines your shoulder weight. And once they understand that, they go, oh, okay, no worries. And then so your back row, those six principles are, are important and you understand that you, you, you're, you're, they're trying to create, you guys are in charge of the speed across the space and really getting it forward. And the second row is, you know, their feeling for anything, they, they don't really hear much from the referees. No one listens to the referees' call. They're waiting for the front rowers to move. And then once they move, they'll go. So that's why, you know, pre-engagement, you'll see a front rower change his foot position and that second row will drive in because they're not waiting for a call. It's all on, it's all on movement. So yeah. again, then if you're coaching the back five and saying, this is what you're looking for, this is what you're going to feel, and this is what's going to happen, to do that, you need to do this, then they understand and they buy in. Okay. How, how would you set up a week? So in the in the ideal world, Belly, uh, obviously we don't live in the ideal world. A lot of head coaches are backs. They don't prioritise it as much as we would like. But some, something that I've struggled with is that in, in a week, you've got to get in your attacking line outs, your defensive line outs, your attacking yeah. more, your defensive form, and then nail a heap of scrum stuff as well. It may be – well, we're, we're kind of lucky. Our, our coach loves forward. So it's pro- probably 60 to 80 minutes a week. Yeah, yeah. In an in an ideal world, Belly, how would you structure it to get the most out of your Ford pack so that you can have the biggest bang for your buck? Well, depending on how many days, you know, I always start like if you've got a six thirty kickoff, I'll want them there at quarter past six and say, look, we're going to do a warm up and we're going to talk about our six principles. So in fifteen minutes, I've already got that, so I've got fifteen minutes out of them. If we're doing a scrum session on the Tuesday night. I would, I, during that 15 minutes, I'll tell them what we're trying to achieve. So I want my goals. This is what we want to achieve today, and this is how we're going to do it. So the 15 minutes there, I've just made up 15 minutes, and I don't have to cut into my own 15 minutes of 30 or 40 minutes of scrums. And then at the end, end of the scrums, at the end of the uh, session as well, I might get them in for five or 10 minutes. So in all up, I've had 25 minutes of talking to them, getting their uh, stuff right, and I've had 40 minutes of really whacking it into them. So... It, for me, it's finding little bits and pieces of time that you can make up. You know, you might get lineouts are the same. At the end of the lineouts, you might finish your lineouts early because it's been you've you've pre-planned it, and then you say, right, I come in. We're just going to talk about our scrum again and get that right. But in a scrum session, you might achieve something, and then you go, look, we we'll just just do five minutes of lineouts. So I'm always looking for an extra couple of minutes here and there. If I can get an extra five minutes a day, I'm going to make up 20, 30, 40 minutes a week. So which I never would have had. So for me, it's all about trying to find the time to do the stuff that I don't want to be talking about during the session. So if, if I'm got a 40 minute session, I don't want to be standing there talking to, okay, this is what we're going to do tonight. This is what we want to achieve. And they're mucking around. Someone's having a chat or something. And, you know, let's talk about our six principles. So I've wasted 10 minutes of that 40 minutes when I could be just doing 40 minutes of work. Yeah. And for me then, you know, that 30 into that, into that 25 minutes, the first 20 minutes, I'm not looking for much, mate. I'm just looking for the work. It's the last 15 or 20 minutes that I'm looking then for, for they're under fatigue. Can they hold their shape under fatigue? And um, um, can they deliver? And that's for me is the big thing is fatigue. 
Mate, Palm said something to me, and he he might have got it from you, might have just got it himself. But he doesn't even look; he doesn't even start to look until they get tired. No, so no, you, you, can, you can teach anyone to scrum when they're fresh, but it's when you know sixty yeah. seventieth minute of a game where they've got to hold shape under pressure. It's that's like, when, it, mate. I always say, go back to say when coaches like um, backs coaches, you know, we're going to run this play, and we've got to we've got to. We want the um, second row, he's going to throw this pass. And you go, mate, he ain't going to throw that pass. And they go, oh, what do you mean? But we've done it at training. And I go, well, that's all well and good. Let's put him under fatigue. So I'll say, right, mate, do 30 push-ups, sprint there, sprint back, now throw that pass. And, mate, if he hits that pass twice out of 10, I'll go, yep, okay. There's, there's, we're, we're on about a 20% hit rate there. But if I do it when I'm fresh, he's going to throw that pass every day of the week. So, you know, in the 60th minute of the game, when he's absolutely wretched, he's just come out of a scrum and he tries to throw a 20 metre pass, he ain't going to hit it. So that goes back to my philosophies at the beginning with Eddie. Don't expect someone to do something, you know, that they physically can't do. Now, a front rower might be able to do it at 70 minutes. Great. Well, let's use that. But under fatigue, you sort of get you you start to find out what blokes are, are capable of. And that's when you find out that's that's when you start coaching. Yeah, yeah. So, so with, with with your session, right? So you've you've obviously got to take into account the physical demands. How do you how do you view giving feedback in a session? Because uh, I could imagine with well, I've seen this with a lot of coaches. Is you know the the loose head drops his bind, the scrum goes down, and he spends a lot of time in the session trying to fix the loose head. Mm. But you're losing everyone else, and you're not mm. getting the physical requirements out of the session as well. So, in, in terms of giving feedback, do you, do you give people feedback on the run? Do you videotape it and sit down with guys to go, "Hey, you need to work on this." Yeah. Or you like, can do you can do you can do both. But I won't I won't um I'll just always ask a question. Here you go, mate. Do you know what I mean? And he'll tell me straight away. If he doesn't tell me, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know what I mean? And that goes from a a 15 year old to a, to a 30 year old. How's it going, mate? Oh, my hands, I keep dropping my hand. You sweet? Yep. That's all you need to say. You know, and I'm a big one for the, they've got to self-critique. If they can't self-critique, and a lot of times I'll I'll have a chat with the hookers and that before training or after training and say, mate, you guys know when something's going wrong because one of those principles, one of those principles that we've spoken about is not being done. Now, whether the tight head second row has got his hips up in the air and he's not getting on or he's, he's got his wrong foot in the wrong position, I said, mate, you can always find it using one of those principles. So if you can drum the six principles into your front rowers, they'll problem solve for you. That's the technical side of it. The tactical side of things is different again. So for me, it's self-critique and and they've got to find their problems. I, I can see what's going on. There's no doubt. But if I just keep hammering away like a school teacher talking to a kindergarten, mate, just lose them straight away. Yeah. Okay. So part of, part of that is getting guys to, to think for themselves because yeah. if they're thinking for themselves, they're actually learning it. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. And, mate, I've done I've done things where, you know, and this is the art, I suppose, of dealing with difficult people that they think they're right. And I go, okay, mate, let's pack scrum. They go, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm fat and I'm 50. Let's have a crack, see what happens. <laughs> and I've got runners on and you've got boots on and see who's, who's right and who's wrong. And then, so, and, but that's part of a relationship building as well. And I just go, look, mate, I've got you. I said, I'm fat and I'm old and I've got you. Oh, yeah, I see that. Well, you know, you've got to get your shoulder down. You've got to target better or whatever you want to do. Okay, yeah, I've got you, I've got you. We'll try this. How, how did you deal with that? Like, so, so I could imagine at times through your career, you've, you would have had maybe a more experienced guy who thought that they had their way of doing things or maybe a young guy wasn't quite buying into it. Is that literally what you do, Belly? You go, all right, let's fucking get yeah. down and No, not the necessarily, month. mate. I think... 
you, you've got to. I think it goes with any relationship. You've got to. You've got to prove or or show that you know what you're talking about. You know, and I've had some doozy questions and wacky questions. Whereas I've had you know other blokes that have played fifty tests, sixty tests for Australia. Go, mate, I didn't think of that. You know what I mean? Like, so some people are different, and that's the art, I suppose, of coaching as well. Is 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 I suppose not winning the. I suppose you are winning the trust of the person that you know what you're talking about. You know, and some people take it on as as criticism, and it's not criticism. It's coaching. That's the difference. You know, like um, some people are more open, some people are shut off, and the the guys that are shut off tend to be the blokes that are, you know, can end up being problem childs within the team itself, not like socially, not so much. You know, as as a footballer. Um, but yeah, no, look, it's one of those things that that's that's coaching, you know. You've got you've got to be you've got to, the art of dealing with difficult people, and that's you know, there's a lot of negotiation involved, and a lot of winning trust, and you know, and 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 showing respect both ways, and that's a big one for me. It's just respect both ways, and if you think you've got a better system, bring it on. Palms did it to me millions of times, you know. Like there was a lot of stuff that I had, you know, when Palms went into coaching, we sat down and you know, we used to talk a lot, a hell of a lot. And um, he showed me all this coaching stuff. And I was going, oh, wow, that's really good. And he goes, well, you know, it's yours. I said, that's not mine. You know, I said, that's, yeah, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. But that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not. Where'd you get that from? He goes, oh, it's what I'm doing. I said, it's gold. I never thought of that. So, you know, and that's the best thing you can do with anyone, coaches or anyone else, is sit down and let them talk and listen to them and then just go, wow, that's a really good way to look at it, you know? So, you work with different coaches. Scotty Wiseman was was unbelievable, you know. Um, you know, and uh, Scott Johnson was was good. He was Jono's is out of the box thinker. I don't know whether you know him or not. Jono's he'll say something to you, and it's it's right there in your face, but you didn't see it, and you go, oh, didn't think of that. So some guys look at you know look at it from different angles. Wisey looked at it from different angles. You know, people look at it from different angles, and that's I suppose that's the beauty of coaching. You get some people in there that look at it and you go, that's really wacky. And then you think about it, you go, that's actually right. You know? Yeah. So if you can, if you keep your ears open when you're coaching and you, you, you just take snippets from people here, snippets from people there. And, you know, you have a conversation with someone and they say, yeah, you're right. That's a really good idea. What do you think? I remember when I was overseas, I did the 19s, the little friend, there was this little French bloke and he was as funny as all get out and he was the front rower. He's, you know, looked like a crab. He was tiny and he's, built like a truck. I remember yeah. sitting down with him. He was in broken English. He was telling me about scrummaging and I was telling him about scrummaging. We were pissing ourselves laughing, going, mate, we don't even know each other, but we're talking the same language. He ended up being the French um, scrum coach, you know, eventually. And it was, it was, it was still, I could still see that his coaching style or his, the way that he taught his players to pack and all that was still there. I could see it in the French team, you know? So it's one of those things that once you get your philosophies right and once you get your techniques right and something you really believe in, then you hammer it and you don't change your technique. You don't change. You know what I mean? That's something that you, you've got to deeply believe in and stay with it. So, you know, there's philosophies around, you know, second rows going down on one knee or staying up. Well, arguments wanna, both ways for me. I want to ask you about that. I, I have not really heard a good argument about the split stance for second rowers. Mm. Uh, potentially I'm not talking to the right people, but uh, what's your take on, on that? Oh, well, see, I'm split sense. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, so but, but, but why? Why? They why? Well, if you, if I, I see it as a, a, you know, like a, an Olympic sprinter that's starting, if, if you're on the tight head side and you've got your right foot up and you're in a split stance, you're not on your knees. I'm another one that likes to be up. So, yeah. you, you know, you're a sort of in, 
you know, have in that shape there. So when the engagement comes, all he does is drop his hips through and he flattens out, you know, so it's really fast. If he's on his knees, he's got to come up and he's got to come down and then he's got to go in. So bit too much movement. But if you've got a split stance and your inside foot's up or your outside foot's up, like a three-point start, as soon as you want to go, you drive off that foot and then the inside foot comes up square and then you're in that shape. Rather than starting square, I feel that some guys get their feet too far back. So as they've packed in, they've laid out. So yep. as soon as the weight comes on, what's the first thing they've got to do? Lift their feet. So yep. they're lifting their fucked. feet. Yeah. And, you, you know, and I, I yeah. keep saying it, Blake, if someone can show me someone in the world that can push with a f- one foot in the air, the, the, the foot that I want on the ground, show me. You know, yeah. mate, I'll run with it, but I haven't seen it yet. No one can physically push when your foot's in the air. So I always go outside foot for the second rowers and inside foot for the back rowers. And then what ends up happening, I've got two guys that are pushing up, like pushing the front rower who's in front. So he's got all that weight generating through his spine and he's straight. Um, that's okay. why that was, I like the split that, stance. There's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. So every sprinter that you see run off the mark, they, if they've got their if they've got their um, right foot off, they've got to drive off that foot first, and then the other leg comes through. And when you think about scrummaging, now you're probably only travelling that far because you're so close together. So if yep. I can get him to drive off that foot and keep it down and keep his hips through, then the weight's on straight away and the weight stays on. And then when you go into the squeeze, now the first thing he does is load up on that leg and the weight comes through, and then he steps. And then they start the step. But if you get into it you both square on your knees they tend to get they tend to get laid out or you know they're flat like that so when the weight comes on the first thing you ought to do is they've got a step to bring their shape on so their feet come up and there's there's a there's a seam in your there's a seam in your scrum there where you've got a weakness so when do you start think- a no but man that's a good reason i'd like i'd seen people do it and i think people do this a lot in coaching particularly at the community sort of shoot shield level is they they see the all blacks do something and they go oh let's do that because the all blacks are doing it without really knowing why people do it well they don't um, know why they're doing it and you've got to remember that these blacks are all blacks for a reason because they're good footballers so right. you're you're got, you're going to get a footballer that's 21 years of age and say to him i want you to be like sam whitelock and you go mate one physically you're nowhere near mentally you're nowhere near it and experience you're nowhere near it so again go back to what i said to you before don't force something onto someone that can't do it yeah. So straight away you go, well, he's no Sam Whitelock, but he's got attributes that are making him really good. What are the attributes? Well, he's very, very strong. Right, if I can get his feet and his hips and his shoulders in the right spot, we're going to generate force. But if his feet are wrong because he's he's physically he's too tight or he can't do that, then I'm asking him to do something that he physically can't do and it's he's going to fail. So I'm setting him up for failure. And then yeah. he's going to get the shit because he doesn't like it and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's one of those things, you know. Man, it, it's it's a hard thing, but it's an important thing that you, you you coach to the skill level. And if he hasn't got the skill level, you try and give him the skill level. When do you start applying tactics, Billy? Oh, I won't take up too much of your time. No, 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 that's fine. I'm really I'm really enjoying this. Thank you very much. No, no, but no, in, in terms of applying tactics, you, you obviously got your six principles and you're hammering them. When do you start? When do you start introducing tactics to a scrum? When you when you start when you start getting it. So you've gone through all your six principles, your three your, your three areas, your pre in and after, and then after the engagement, then you start talking about what you're trying to do in a scrum. What are you trying to do? So again, that's the how, why, and when, and then you go to okay, we want the right side up. Okay, if we're going to do the right side up tactically, what do you think we've got to do? Well, we might promote the tight head. 
you know what I mean, and have the, set, the, the loose head sitting back. So on the engagement, the tight head will hit first and we'll try and put all our weight or everything will tr- go to the right-hand side and we'll try and get that right-hand side up, you know. So yeah. it's sort of a process. You, you, you've got to go through the process and then bring it back. But tactically, there's so many different things that can do. But again, you've got to make sure that they're prepared to do it. So without the technique, there's no way you can talk ta- – oh, sorry. Without the technique, you can't tac- – your tactics have got to be dumbed down. So okay. – I'm a big one for, for shearing. I'm, I'm a big one for putting weight through the, the, the hookers. So you're changing the feet of the second rowers, all that sort of stuff. So that you've, you've got shearing, which, you know, taking, you're going at angles on one side or forcing weight one way or forcing weight the other way. And then you've got the hookers where you can, you know, you, you change the, the feet position of all the players in the scrum and get maximum weight going through the hooker. So you might say, right, we're, we've got a five metre scrum. It's their ball. We want to put as much pressure as we can on the hooker so he can't lift his foot. Right, we're going to change our feet position and just go for him. And everyone's head, and always say, your head's your steering wheel, mate. Like you don't see people walking down the street with their heads to the side. You know what I mean? Everyone's upright. And if I want to move, change direction, I look and then I walk. It's the same thing with scrummaging. If I've, if I want a direct force into the scrum or to the right hand side, I'll have everyone's head trying to get over to the right. You know, we're pushing our heads to the right to get that way because that's where the force will go. That's the weight will go. Your head's your steering wheel and will follow. So. To go back to your original question, I've got to make sure that technically they're all sound. They're not going to be perfect, but they've got to be sound. They've got to understand why those we do that technical stuff, those six principles. They've got to have an understanding of the pre and after, what we're trying to achieve there. So what are we trying to achieve before we go in? You know, our six principles, we've taken a bind, so we've become a scrum. We've got to be balanced. We've got to make sure our weight's going forward, our studs are on the ground. What are we trying to do in when he says engage? What are we trying to do? We're trying to get across the space quick. We're trying to hit hard and maintain force as with Alan, you know, with that experiment, maintain the force. Cause what we want to do is when we, if this is me on this side, we want to hit and then bounce. You know what I mean? If you watch a scrum, sometimes you'll, you'll see a hit and then a bounce and then they'll reshovel. So what you're looking for is you nine times out of 10, if you hit hard, like if, if we hit hard enough, you'll get this ripple effect that goes through their scrum where they're back, all their, all their, the, the from their backs will just float all the way back. So we're looking yeah. to create the wave. I always say we want the wave. So if we can hit a scrum opposition and they get a wave, we've got them on the back foot and we keep the weight on them. And if we keep enough pressure on them, they won't be able to readjust. So as long, so that's the in stage and then the after stage. Once we hit, we want the wave, we want the ripple, and we want to see if one of their second rowers lift their feet or their front rowers. If their front rowers and second rowers lift their feet, this is up to the hooker. There yeah. we've got a seam. So we're going to attack that seam the next time. So if we can do all the six principles, all those things there, and we got that down pat, everyone understands why we're doing it, when we're going to do it, then you start talking about tactics. You know what I mean? You okay. might say we're on the right hand side. We don't want them to. We don't. The blind. We want to give them a blind side, but we know that our nine and our back row are going to shut the blind out, so they're going to have to go open, and then we get stuck into them. So, yeah. so then your tactics come into it, but that's the tactics between the hooker and the halfback, or the hooker and the captain, whoever it is. And depending on the field, his tactics then have got to measure that. So we might be, you know, five-metre scrum or inside their 22, and we go, right, we're going to shear them and put as much pressure on as we can. So When you're doing that, when you're doing that, Belly, so obviously getting sides up to, to launch an attack makes a hell of a lot of sense for mm. most people. In terms of, you know, shearing or isolating individuals in the, op- in the opposition team, do you, do you have a, a theory on whether you attack their strengths or do you isolate someone who could potentially be a weakness? How do you look at that? 
Oh, well, I suppose that comes up back to the coaching side as well as trying to identify, you know, you do a SWOT analysis on their scrum. So I always went strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. So, you know, I'd always identify a, a few weaknesses that they had and that might then allow us to tactically come at them. You know, you know, this position they they pack funny or the the eight offsets or the or the you know the, the number seven when you're in this situation he he doesn't care about the scrum, he's just trying to hit the seven. So we might hit the ten. So we might say, right, we're gonna go for a double shove. But it's up to the hooker um, or the or the tight head or the loose head to have a bit of a chat and say, listen, this bloke's I've got this bloke on the on, on the rack, let's get into him. So you might have the loose head and the and the hooker both attack the tight head. Yep. Or he might say, mate, I'm in a bit of trouble here. This bloke can scrum. He's right. Oh, well, let's go across the face of him and get stuck right in and turn him into the scrum. See how he likes that, a different angle. Like Carl Heyman, these guys, mate, they loved it. There was another guy from New Zealand, Ollie Brown, who I played, mate. He's just tent-pegged. He was a machine. But as soon as you hit him with an angle, he didn't like it. Yeah. So, um, but again, he was strong enough just to hold it. And he just, you know, he was a machine. But... Um, those sort of guys, yeah. So you, you, it's again, you got to you've got to look at the opposition and come up with your own theories and come up with your own, you know, your tactics within that. How do you view scrummaging in this country at the moment, Billy? Is it has it progressed? Like generally speaking, what's your take on it? Oh, mate, I think, it, it, yeah, it's coming good. Like, I, mate, I've got a lot of time for Cameron Lillycrap in Queensland. I've done a lot of work with him. Um, we did some junior pro, some junior stuff just about 12 months ago and I was doing the technical side of it and he was doing the strength side of it and he's got both sides of it, you know what I mean? So he's a physio as well and he's a, and a wallaby prop. So we did some work together and stuff and we were preaching from the same, same page, but he came up with these, these really, really weird exercises and it was, it was mind-boggling to me that, you know, everything was down low and they're working low. It was awful about your functional strength and, you know, hip flexibility and stuff. And I was really amazed. I thought, shit, these blokes are going to be good. Taniel is good, you know. Taniel is once in a generation sort of front row. He's 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 natural, you know. He's not made. That's for sure. He's just a machine. So Queensland are really good. I think the Waratahs are going to come good with Bladesy, which is good. You know, they've got a, a full scrummaging bloke in there now. That's you know Australian tight head prop, and he knows his stuff. And then you got the the, the professor down in you know in Canberra in in, in Palms. So. Um, I, I don't know much about the, the Rebels guys, but they've got some good front rowers down there. And I, I'm not really, you know, I think Greg Holmes is going to do some stuff at the force. So, you know, I spent a lot of time with Holmes in Queensland and stuff like that. And he's, he's a good man too. And, you know, he knows his shit. There's, you know, you can't go and be in Europe for that long playing tight head when he was a loose head and, and still be, you know, not know what you're talking about. So, but that's yeah. the, the, the hardest thing. And I think any other, every coach will tell you, the hardest thing is going from playing to coaching. That's for sure. So, yeah that progression is is difficult because you've instead of looking down you've got to look up you know so you know it's a total you're not looking at the ball you're looking around the ball you're not looking at this you know how the scrum's pushing you look at individual people so yeah I, I think it's it's turned a corner that's for sure I think we went away from it for for a bit which you know could be detrimental and I think they've come back now they've done the thing and they see now how much of a how important it is on the field now is a scrum is so important one for their confidence and two you can really knock a team around. Right, last last couple of questions, mate. This yeah, has been right. awesome. this has been awesome. If you're looking at, at teams around the world, who do you like to watch for scrummaging? Do you have um, favourites? Um, yeah, I, I don't mind. The, I, I like the, the the Kiwis. Some of the Kiwis, you know, I like uh, Moody. That's for sure. Um, I like the Poms. Or that it's a real sort. It's a different. It's um, how would you say? It's a real pride thing with the Poms. You know, like it's you know it, it's. 
it's life or death for them. They don't care. It's a, cu- it's a cultural ball. thing, isn't it? Mate, they don't care if they don't touch the ball the whole game. If they pack, you know, ten scrums and they go well, mate, they're they're on fire. Um, so I, I do. I, it's it's different. The Premiership rugby over there, I do like watching the scrums because it's so personal, mate. You can see them blowing up and carrying on. The French are good to watch, but you don't even know what you're going to get. If they're at home, they're pretty good. If they're on travelling, you know, if they want to have a crack, then look out. You know, like you know, when they were over here, they you know, first the first game they sort of not disinterested, but it was a bit of a shock value to them. And then all of a sudden they want to have a go and it's game on, you know. So I, I do watch them, but you know, any any of it around the world is pretty good. The, you know, the Kiwis have sort of gone, you know. Um, they use it more of a launching platform now, and then they went back to a bit of old school, like one of those games. If you watch that French-New Zealand game, that was a cracking game. You know, they were playing playing a different style in the second half than they were in the first half. You know what I mean? The first half was a bit more flary, offload, let's go. The second half was more about power, and then it reverted back to the scrums as a power. Because I think with the French or the Poms and all that sort of stuff, they take it to heart so much. If you get on top of their scrum, then shit starts to happen. You know, they can, they potentially can crumble, but it's getting on top of them is the problem. Well, mate, I've, I've got a lot of back friends who argue that fly half is the <laughs> hardest position in rugby. And um, I'll argue to my death that tight end prop is, but you only have to look at the last World Cup final to realise how important the scrum oh, yeah. was. And and look, I'd, the Springboks won that game through their scrum, in my yeah, opinion. 100%, I'm with you, mate. Mate, yeah, last question. The, 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 a lot of these teams now, they're scrummaging for penalties to get them out of trouble. So you're, you know, they're inside their 22. They're not going to get the ball out, mate. You know, the backs can say whatever they want. They'll just keep it there and they scrum for a penalty. And the referees need help as well, mate. They, the refs have got no idea, you know. And I've, I've always said in the last three years, they should have an ex-front rower in the box with the third, you know, with the, with, with the third referee up the top. And he can just pass it. He doesn't need to talk to the ref, but he can pass a comment. All he has to say is, you know, number one blue is taking it down. So the referee just goes on the other side. There's one, if you take it down again, I'm going to penalise you. So he knows that there's an expert in the box watching it. Like, you know, I just think it's it's crazy that, that it's crazy that they expect, you know, I love Nick Berry, you know, uh, you know I coached him at the Reds. He's a halfback now, mate. He knows how to cheat as a halfback with the ball coming in, no doubt. Like he'd run rings around me about looking at blokes how to cheat. But, you know, he was a back and they hate scrummaging. You know, so it's a really hard, and you know, you played it, I played it. Everyone's played in the front row, and you know how long it takes to do it, and to and to know and to problem solve. But the referees are just throwing them in the deep end. So they, they should have an ex front row, international front row, neutral, do whatever you want. He sits in the box and gives them advice, and just says, "You don't know if they react to the penalty, but they can say number, you know, blue number one, you're taking it down. Do it again, I'll penalise you." That's yeah, it. I, I, I reckon if, if any front row ever put his hand up to be an international ref, as long as he could keep up with play, that he'd probably he'd probably get a job straight away. You'd have, you've got to be under 100 kilos, though, mate. I don't think there's <laughs> yeah. anyone around. <laughs> hey, just on that, I've, I've been uh, thinking, theorising a lot lately. Do you think you have to be a front rower to coach a scrum? Oh, and, mate, and, and, and conversely on that, belly, do you think you actually have to have been a line-out jumper to run a line-out? No, no, no. Not lineouts are different, mate. I think scrummaging is very hard. It's a very hard skill. I always, someone always said that to me. And I go, well, mate, yeah, I can teach someone how to goal kick. I know how to. T- oh, it's like the goal swing and get your hip square and bring your foot through. Now that's all well and good. I'm teaching out of book, but I don't know the feeling. Yeah, you know, and I don't think I could sit here all day and watch goal kicking, and I could read up and I could study on and go, oh, you know, you got to get your hip square, you got to point your foot in the right direction towards the post and swing through and follow through. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't know the feeling. Do you know what I mean? If I put a ball on the thing, I'd be lucky to kick it. 
you know what I mean? But here I am trying to teach someone how to think, and that's why I don't go outside my box, mate. You know what I mean? Like I don't go, I don't try and, you know, I, I know how to catch pass, but I don't, I, I don't, you know, backline play and stuff like that. I'd stay out of that because, you know, that's something. If someone asks my my opinion or what what are your thoughts, I go, yeah, this is my thought. It's not my opinion; it's my thought. You know, yeah. you know, and that's what I. And again, going back to what we were saying before, if someone says, uh, you know, what you know. What do you think about this? I always say, is it, are you asking for my thoughts or have you got an opinion you want me to back up on you? Yeah. You know what I mean? If you've got an opinion, there's no use me talking to you. But if you if you if you're asking for help, this is what I reckon you should do. So um, it's it's very interesting. What what you said before about going from playing to coaching. So a, yeah. as a player, I only ever watched the scrums, like or the front yeah. rowers. Like, like I didn't yeah. give a fuck about the rest of the game. <laughs> And then all all of, all of a sudden you're you're a head coach of second grade and you go shit I've got to learn what halfbacks do and yeah you know outside centers or wingers and it, it turns out that they actually do more than I thought Bill yeah 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 well it's interesting now that the whole the whole coaching thing is taken on a totally different it's more like a business model now like if you take the you know from one of you know the Wallabies you've got Dave Rennie now who's the who's the head coach. Now, does he do, does he, and this is not, I'm not being detrimental here at all because it's very hard to do, but does Dave coach much? I don't, he, he will give direction to his coaches and then his coaches deliver. So he's like the, the CEO and he's got a CFO under him as a manager and then he's got his, his managers. And I think it's the way that it's going. And I think it's, if you, and I think Rennie really trusts Wisey and really trusts, you know, McKellar and these guys, you can see that they have a major influence on the, the play which is good. And and if you look at a head coach now, mate, you're dealing with so many things off field, on field, you know, just the shit that goes with it, the referees reports, the referee meetings, you know, the day to day, but you still have a massive influence over your team, but you're not in the mud. You know what I mean? Like that's where you need your specialist coaches, like your scrum coaches, you need your specialist backs coaches, you know, and I know Dave Rennie's got a massive experience and I rate, I, I think he's really good for the game in Australia because he's very cool, calm and collective, you know, like, you know, your ass is on fire, Dave. Yeah, that's all right. It's my ass. It'll go out. Don't worry. You don't have to worry. He's sort of that sort of character, which I yeah. really like. I really like that sort of character and nothing's a problem and, you know, it'll be sorted out. So I think the coaching itself has changed. Whereas in the old days, you know, the head coach would be a specialist backs coach and he'd coach the backs and, the, you know, they'd have a forwards coach and away you go. But now it's changed and it had to change because of the professionalism and the amount of touring and the amount of coaching and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's it's a good for the game because then guys like Wisey, you know, and, and McKellar and, um, you know, these guys have an influence, influence on the game. New South Wales, like with Coleman, you know, like he's... He's very good at bringing a team together. He's very smart with his football. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be that much of a hands-on coach anymore. But he knows what he wants. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So he then leaves that to Wits and and um, you know the forwards coach and the backs coach and you know you got Gilmore there as a, as a as a um, defense uh, defense coach. You know they all know their shit, and then he just brings it together. And I think that's I think it's a really good model. And I think you know. With Darren being at the head of it, he really knows how to bring a team together. He has to make sure, like Rennie, that these players are mentally right for it, you know, and fundamentally everything's all right. Because if you've got shit going off field, you're not going to get a performance out of a player on field. So then it's detrimental to you and the team. So, you know, not only you're a psychologist, you're a problem solver, you're, you know, you're a family man sorting out family problems and making sure these blokes are ready to go. Because if they go on there with a, a massive issue, they're not going to perform. So, you know, there's just the game's changed so much, you know. So cultural it, the changed. cultural element's huge, isn't it? 
Oh, massive. Particularly yeah. for a head coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got, you know, it's that old thing, you know, you gotta you have gotta have a common cause to fight for, or otherwise, you know, you're fighting fronts on all you know, on different angles. You know, you're getting attacked from all sides, and that's where you know your your player. Do you pick the best player or do you pick the best team bloke that's you know 90 as good as the other guy you know like it's it's one of those things that sometimes you got to let the best player go because it's just too much trouble and it causes too much trouble within a team so you know and that's where the coach comes in and give and the other thing too mate i'm a big believer that idle minds cause trouble and that's where the head coach kicks in he's got to keep everyone busy so they don't start you know tearing each other apart because you know idle minds are terrible so the hey. whole coaching stuff has changed so much it's um it's opened up a whole new world that I didn't know existed. Like for, for me this year, mm. I had I had a guy. So I'm standing on the roof. We had a fresh reserve, uh, fresh bench that week because our third grade guys didn't have a game. And I'm looking about 20 minutes in the game. We've got fresh front rowers for a change. I'm going, mm, who who should I put on at half times? You know, you start thinking about yeah. that sort of stuff. And I've gone, oh fuck, one of our props isn't here. He hadn't checked our, our management team hadn't checked him in because they weren't used to checking the reserves in. And and I've tried calling him uh, one ring straight to voice message. He'd gotten on the piss the night before, <laughs> re- realized that he wasn't going to make the game, turned his phone off, didn't bother to tell anyone. Mm. And two days later, he's called everyone back going, oh, I'm really sorry. Again. <laughs> so, you know, I'd catch you. Yeah, you don't have to deal with that in professional rugby, but, but semi professional well, yeah, amateur yeah. rugby, well, you know, it's I, a big I, part I, of it. Yeah, well, I coached at East as well with Scotty Bowen there, mate. That's it's that's the whole thing, mate. You know, some blokes just mightn't turn. Oh, I was working late. Sorry, mate. Well, just give us a ring. Oh, mate, I didn't think about it. Oh, okay. Well, we can't do scrummaging because I didn't have a front rower, you know. But that's, you know, that's the way it is. All oh, right, mate. No worries. Just, you know, and that's the main thing that I, when I was coaching, just ring me. I don't care what it is. Just tell me that you're not coming and I can make arrangements. So, but, you know, that's, that's the joys of, you know, coaching at club level and, you know, trying to get everyone together, you know. Yeah, you know, I go back to when I was playing club level, mate. Everyone was there on time, mate. I was the youngest in. I was at Warringah, and I was I was twenty, I think, when I played my first first grade game, and I was the youngest by six years. The next oldest bloke was twenty six. I was just going, what's going on here? You know, it's it's basically an under twenty five's come down, mate. Well, now yeah, yeah they're twenty twenty one. It's just a natural sort of thing, yeah. And I was only there because there was a couple of injuries. And I played Australian. Oh, I think I was in the Australian under twenty ones, and I was playing third grade in, at Warringah as a loose head prop and then ended up as a hooker in first grade and then just went from there. Mate, I'm very, very grateful for your time. No, no worries, one, mate. One more question, mate. I've enjoyed this immensely and I've, I've learned some good stuff. As, as someone who's an experienced coach, when you talk to a young coach like me and they go, Belly, what's some advice that you would give a young coach who's starting out? What do you generally say to people? Um, I think... Well, just know your trade, mate, really, and don't be too um, rigid with what you think. You know, like it's a two-way – coaching's a two-way street. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest coach in the world. If you can't uh, get someone to believe in your philosophy or believe in you as a coach or, you know, understand the common common cause, then you're in trouble. So, you know, I always say, you know, it's – and it was something I picked up from Jono, actually. Are you listening or are you waiting to talk? You know what I mean? So you, you just sit back and listen and let them, you know, let, especially when you're young coaching, you know what you want, you want to win, you know, and then find out, you know, what's going to make you win. Have a look at your players, come up with a game plan that suits them and then, and then, and then execute it. But you've got to have everyone believing. So the best thing is just, is to introduce stuff and then see what the, you know, you always need, 
not so you need feedback whether it's criticism whether it's positive whatever it is you know people like to talk young blokes like to talk and like to believe in what they're doing if they're talking they're believing you know if they're asking questions and challenging they're believing you know so I'm, I'm a big one for that i love being challenged like why don't we do this i didn't think of that that's that's a good idea let's do it and then there's ownership you know so if you can get players to 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 buy into it and actually then feed on it and and grow it then they've got ownership and they believe in it and they'll do it so if someone owns something they're going to try as much as they can to to own it man so, love it man that was yeah, awesome yeah. Th- yeah. mate th- thank you so much no worries anytime mate I appreciate it. Are you, so you're coaching Sydney Uni Colts this year? Yeah, yeah. I'm just doing the Colts, just doing some scrummaging stuff. So I love doing that sort of stuff. Just trying to, you know, this the kids will come out of school and everyone's got different philosophies or different way they do things and, you know, just bringing them on the same page. So, I, you know, and um, Baco and Laurie, you know, I coach Laurie as a young bloke as well and, and Baco's there and we did a lot of coaching together. So, I, you know, we've had meetings and stuff and they're going to do some high level stuff and we're going to do the the good stuff, the technical stuff, not not so much the tactical stuff, the technical stuff. So when they we were talking about before, so that kid can bounce from first grade cults to go into second grade and not having to worry with the transition. He might have to get schooled up really quickly on tactics, but that's easy. So um will you, will you go to games this year? Uh try to, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm not working, I'll be there. Beautiful, yeah. mate. Well, if you if you come to when we play you guys, um I'll buy yeah, a couple sure. of this. Right, I would like that. But um, good luck with your meeting this up, mate. <laughs> Thanks, mate. It should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, I might be mate. coaching first grade cults permanently. Yeah, well, the bad would be a bad job. <laughs> Judging off what yeah. Parksy said, it sounds like a decent job. Yeah, no, it's good. Mate, um, thank you. Thanks, buddy. No worries. Thanks, mate. Catch, Thanks catch you later, you. mate. Appreciate, on, appreciate mate. it, mate. All right, guys, that's today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, man. I loved, I loved doing these. Uh, it's so much fun. I'm learning a lot. The, having the opportunity to share it with other people is an unexpected but really enjoyable and satisfying side effect of these discussions. Um, so thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for buying Caffeine Gum Australia. Uh, i got some good ones coming up. I just booked a podcast with Rugby League Royalty. Uh, I won't announce who that is yet, but um, very excited about that one. And... Wish you guys all the best, and we'll see you hopefully next week, if not the week after. Peace.